0: Man. Well, good morning, Redeemer. Good morning. It's nice to see so many of you back here with us. I hope everyone's summer's going very well. Well, today what we're going to do is take a break from Titus for just a week. And we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 25. We're going to look at verses 14 through 30. Um, this is really just, uh, <laughs> I mean, largely this is a sermon for myself. After having returned from Europe, I needed somewhat to process the 18 days I spent there, and so now I'm going to talk to all of you about the parable of the talents, something that we discussed a great deal, my son and I, while we were overseas. But before we do that, let's pray together. Let's seek the Lord's favor. Father, we thank you so much for this Lord's day, for this time to gather and praise you and worship you. We thank you, Lord, for um, opening our hearts and our minds to you. We pray that you would open your word to us now that we would be Um, convicted and we would be comforted, Lord, in equal measure, that we would know what it means to be a faithful servant, Lord, and what it means to truly stand in awe of you. We pray, God, that as we offer up our our worship this morning, that you would be glorified through it and that it would be pleasing in your sight. We pray all these things in the name of your Son, and amen. amen. Now, I'm just going to paraphrase because it was already read for us. Um, Jesus is here in the Olivet Discourse, it's called. Chapters 24 and 25 of Matthew are called the Olivet Discourse. It's the fifth discourse of Matthew. And the reason it's called the Olivet Discourse is because Jesus was standing on the Mount of Olives when he gave it. Now, he tells a series of parables. And parables are interesting because there's a great deal of debate as to whether they're historically accurate or if they're just literally stories he made up. Uh, I think that, again, that's one of those things that scholars have way too much time on their hands. The, the point isn't rather it actually happened. The point is the point that Jesus is trying to make. So at the end of the Olivet Discourse, what Jesus is doing is he's addressing his disciples about being disciples. He knows that he's going to return in AD 70 to destroy Israel for rejecting him himself. Now, this gets into end time stuff and Revelation and all these things, which we are going to be talking about a great deal, but just to to bring you guys up to speed with where we stand as a church, the Olivet Discourse is not talking about the end of the world at the end of time when Jesus comes the second time, what they call the second coming. Uh, Jesus came back in 70 AD to punish his people for rejecting him. That's what he's talking about here. And, And he knows that the people who he's talking to are going to see the gospel go out into the world and conquer it. The people who are listening to him are going to rise up against the Romans, and the Romans, through Titus andronicus—this is why one of the reasons I named my son Titus—is going to come and spank Israel real hard for having rejected the Lord. And so that—that's the context of all of this. And so he's taught—he tells stories about a Lord who's going to go on a trip and come back, and, and the trip that Jesus is going to go on here. Nobody knows how long hes it's, right. Nobody really knows how long it's going to be that he's gone. He, he gives us some hints at the fact that it's a generation. He says, these things will come upon you people who are listening to me. And, and all of that gets into some, some hot <laughs> interpretive principles, which we're not going to discuss now. I'm just giving you guys what I assume from the beginning. Jesus knows he's coming back at some point to punish the people who are listening to him right then. And so he says, listen, there, there's a, here's a story to, to explain to you what I'm expecting of you, my disciples. He says, now imagine a Lord who's going to go on a trip, and before he does that, he gives money to his followers, his servants. He says, okay, here's a talent. Now, how much is a talent? When, when I first heard the story when I was a kid, I always thought he meant like talents, like my ability to run fast or something. And it wasn't until many years later, I was like, oh, that's money. That's money. I see. So a talent is it, – it, it's um, – it's a large sum of money. It's, it's maybe three years worth of a, of a day laborer's wages at the time. So it's actually a large sum. To one servant, he gives five. To one servant, he gives two. To one servant, he gives one. And, and there's a number of things in the background here. The, the Lord expects these people that he gives this money to, to invest it. He expects a return. He expects them to take risks. And so what he does is he, he hands out this money, he goes away, and he comes back later, and then he has two faithful servants and one unfaithful servant whom he addresses in turn, and he, he has an accounting of what they have done with what he has given them, and then he judges them. Now, this is very difficult for modern Christians because of our lack of understanding about covenant theology because it, it, what happens to the unfaithful servant is he gets cast into hell. So was he ever really a servant of this Lord? Well, yes. He had every opportunity. He, he, had, he was a member of the household. He knew that he was the Lord. See, and what, what happens in the next parable after this one is Jesus tells the story about those people who, who come to him and say, Lord, Lord, and he says, don't call me Lord because I don't know you. There are people who call Jesus Lord um, who actually he doesn't know, okay? And, and his dealing with people here, right, in the real world, God hands out all kinds of graces to everyone, he gives, he gives you spouses. He gives you the gospel. He gives you the ability to read. He gives you intellect. He gives you the Holy Spirit. He has all of these things that are available to all of us, and none of us know who's really actually investing them or not. So there's an aspect of this story in which we are looking behind the curtain and, and seeing things here. What, and what I don't want us all doing is, is looking at one another's lives and being like, well, that guy must be an unfaithful servant, right? Because that's never the point of these stories. The, the, the point of these stories is for you to do some self-reflection. What are you doing with what the Lord has given you? Right? Because I, I understand it's money in this context, but it's, this is why it's a parable. It's just a metaphor. Right? Anything that the Lord has given you, he expects a return on it. He will come to you in the end and say, what have you done with what I have given you? Now, that, that is very hard for people to understand because we like free grace. We like cheap grace, as Bonhoeffer calls it. We like the fact that he takes us as we are. He leaves us as we are. There's nothing that's required of us. Everything is just free, 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 free. Grace, 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 grace. There's no accounting of any kind. But that actually isn't the gospel. Okay? The grace that you receive costs Jesus his life. It cost the life of the second person of the Trinity. It was not cheap. It was not inexpensive. And it is a gift that he gives you. But what we learn from stories like this is that it's not something that he just puts into your hands and, and expects nothing out of it. it. He doesn't just give you the gospel. He doesn't just give you your life. He doesn't give you money. He doesn't give you your cars. He doesn't give you your children and not expect a return on the, on the investment that he's put into your hands. We, the disciples, are given the wealth of the good news, and we know that this is a pearl of great price. And so what are we doing with this pearl? Where's the pearl? Okay. Now imagine, if you would, a woman who inherits gold and diamonds from her, um, from her, her mother, and they've been handed down generation by generation. What would you think of that woman if she hides them always in a safe? Well, she's wise, right? She's a wise woman. But is that, what, is that what jewelry's for? Right, this is where, now if I, if I give you gold bars, I understand that the idea there is that it's, it's supposed to be monetary. In that regard, please put it in your safe. But I don't think much of a woman who inherits gorgeous things that have been handed down for five generations and then she hides them in a safe and never wears them. And, and, and that is, is an aspect of what's going on here. We've been given a pearl. Now, are we so afraid of losing the pearl that we hide the pearl? in the safe next to the firearms? Is is it something where, well, you know, um, this is also true. My my wife has inherited jewelry, and, and sometimes we think it's very valuable, but it turns out it's not because they cut diamonds differently now, and what's in vogue is different than what was in vogue 100 years ago. And so sometimes the stuff we have isn't as valuable as we think, and what happens sometimes in that regard is then we don't think it's valuable at all. Right? But the wedding ring that my grandfather gave my grandmother, that my wife now wears, is actually not that valuable. Except it is, <laughs> and, and, and this is what this story is all about. We, we, we think, right, we put a monetary value on, the thing, on things in life. We're modern Americans, we think in dollars, we think in cents, we think in gold, we think in, right, the stock market. And, and it's very difficult for us to consider some of the things that God gives us as, as, as being of great value, right? But we're going to look at some stories. Joseph was given slavery. That was the gift that God gave him. And how did he invest that slavery in the kingdom of heaven, right? So sometimes what we're given, we, we, we lock it away because we want to keep it safe. We don't think it's very valuable, so it's maybe somewhere under the bed somewhere. We, we neglect it. And, and, and what the story gets grabs us right? Grabs us by the throat and says, what are you doing? What are you doing with what the Lord has given you? And I think all of us need to think a great deal about that. How are the servants of God to invest this great treasure that he has given us? Now, there's, um, we are given the actions and outcomes of the two faithful servants and the one unfaithful servant as examples for us so that we can measure our lives by what they do and what they do not do. The principles at work in this parable are descriptive of the Christian life for all of us. Okay, It doesn't matter if you're given a lot or a little, it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, it doesn't matter if you're an adult or a child, this parable is for all of us. This parable is for all of us. Matthew Henry, the great Puritan commentator said, thus does a true Christian act in the work of religion. We have no stock of our own to trade, but but." we trade as brokers with our master's stock. The endowments of the mind, reason, wit, learning, must be used in subserviency to religion. The enjoyments of the world, estate, credit, interest, power, preferment, must be improved for the honor of Christ. So what Matthew Henry is saying here, it does not matter what you're given, whether it's an active imagination, a great deal of intellect, a fantastic job, tons of money in the bank, or, um, you know, you're, you're born and your legs don't work very well and you're in a wheelchair. Whatever it is that the Lord has given you is supposed to be invested in his kingdom. Everything we have is, to be, is a gift from him that we are to invest in his kingdom. The story of the talents is given to Christians as house stewards. And we've been talking a great deal through Titus about being house stewards. And we're not, and we're not just talking about leaders in the church. We're talking about all Christians. You are all stewards of the things that God gave you. Those are not your kids. They're God's kids. That is not your spouse. It's his spouse. This is not your church. It's, it's his church. That job that you have is not your job. You are simply a custodian of that job. You are a custodian of your boots. You are a custodian of the frying pan. Okay? None of that stuff belongs to you. And, and this is a <laughs> when I think my kids get a little uppity. I, this is always the game I play with them. They're like, well, he took my toy. He took my toy and he won't give my toy back. And I just have to remind every, everyone that everything in the house is actually mine. I'm like, I, I brought all of this stuff into the world, and I can bring all of this stuff out of the world as quickly as it came into the world. Okay? So how about you give me the, my toy back, since you two are unfaithful with it and cannot get along? And, and this is a game I like to play with my kids. Oh, I tell you, they love it. <laughs> right? When they start to get a little ungrateful, you're like, I would like my mattress back. Okay, you're going to complain about your sleep. You're bored. Oh, you're bored. Okay, well, give me your shoes and go outside of the house. I'm going to take everything back from you now. And this is how we have to think about God. If you stand in your kitchen, if you stand in your garage, if you stand in your back ra- backyard, if you sit at the dinner table, look around. None of that is yours. You are simply, right, it's been given to you to take care of for a time, And at one point, you will have to stand before the owner of all of that stuff and explain what you did or didn't do with it. Now, I'm going to go over some verses because it's important for for us to understand that everything we receive is a gift from God. Okay, so if you turn with me to Romans, Romans chapter 8. We're going to look at verse 32. Romans 8. I'm going to back up to verse 31. Romans chapter 8, verse 31 and 32. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So everything that you own is is given to you along with Christ. Christ was given to you, and because Christ was given to you, we understand that everything was given to us. Okay? All things are given to us in the same context as in which Christ was given to us. So was Christ a grace, or did we earn it? Did we help him, or did we receive from him? Right? And, and in light of that, in light of this God who will give us his own son, his beloved son, the king of the world, he will send into the world to die at the hands of the world, that son he gave us, and with him he gives us all things. So, so right? okay, the baking dish came along with Christ, the children come along with Christ, right? Everything that you receive is given to you along with Christ. And, and so you don't separate, right, if you, how often do you go around and you think, okay, well, uh, Christ is my, my buddy, and we're good friends, and he's my Lord, and he lives in the Bible or, or some, somewhere maybe, and then you have him, and he, he's this sort of ethereal something, and then you go around, and you're like, man, look at my kingdom. It's awesome, Right? Like, sometimes I just stare in my driveway, and I'm just like, this truck, my, my Silverado is beautiful, right? And I just think, man, look at this baby. It's so nice. I'm going to get in it again. Just turn on the air conditioning, because the air conditioning in my truck is the best. And I just think, look at all that I have done, right? But no, right? I, I received that. What, what's even funnier about that is my brother gave me that pickup truck. Right? And then so I gotta think, well actually I didn't buy this truck at all. Actually, <laughs> this truck was given to me. And it's very helpful to me to have something I love so much be a gift to me, because that's how everything is. Everything that you receive, you received by the grace of God, just like you received his son. Now turn with me to first Peter chapter four. First Peter, how well does Mike know his Bible? First Peter. Chapter 4, we're going to look at verse 10, and this is what Peter has to say. It says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. I'm going to read that again. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Now, there's a number of things that we're told there. The grace that is given to us is varied. I did not receive the same grace that you did. You did not receive the same grace as that guy over there who didn't receive the same grace as that woman down in the front. Okay? We, we, we receive a variety of graces. But what we were given is for what purpose, right? What's the second most important thing to God after our loving him with all of our heart, mind, body, and strength? Is loving one another. So not only is everything that you have given to you by him in Christ, but everything you have that's given to you In Christ is for the purpose of serving one another it's the purpose of it is serving one another and I I don't know about you maybe maybe you and I are similar I already have um, some children who are (laughs) demonstrating this um, but but one of the things that I get caught in all the time is like hey guys you know what I love all of you and I'm going to make you some steak like well we don't want steak oh, no, 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 this is really good steak. You, you really want this. I'm going to spend all afternoon cooking this food for you because you really want it. But you know in this story who really wants the steak? Me. <laughs> right? and, and this is something my, I have a son. He will remain, remain nameless. And, man, he loves to make pancakes for everyone else. And, and I don't know how many times I'm like, I don't even want pancakes. Is this what I do to you? I don't want pancakes. Oh you, oh, you want the pancakes you made for me that I don't want. Oh, okay, I see how it goes. And it's very, very easy for us to think that we're doing something for others when we're really doing it for ourselves. When we're really doing it for ourselves. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, this, this is, I mean, I can go on and on. I don't know how many books and movies and video games I've purchased for myself, I mean, for others, for myself. <laughs> but we have to be careful, Everything that you have is given to you by the grace of God for the purpose of serving and loving one another. Okay, Now, does that mean that God hates it when you enjoy things? No, right? right. There, I, could, I could pull out the verses where he says, hey, take your money and spend it on the things that delight your heart and make sure that, right? But even in those verses, what does he say? Make sure that you have an extra amount so that you can give to the people who don't have anything, right? Because the gifts that he gives us are never just for us. And, and we all too often delight in the things that God gives us with no thought of where they came from and, and no thought to anyone else. Okay, so let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. We're taking the tour today. Ephesians 2. Verse 8. Ephesians 2, verse 8 says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and, that, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It is the gift of God, right? And, and this goes back with the Romans verse. If this is how the grace of God and salvation works, right, what, what do you add to it? You can't add anything to your salvation, okay? But you're given this salvation, and what are you doing with it, right? You know who Jesus is. You know what he has done. You know what he expects. You know where you can find out all about him. You've been given this gift, and what are you doing with the gift? The most important gift of all. Okay, so the last one here is James chapter 1, verse 17. James 1, 17. James 1.17. And this is what James says. He says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So every good and perfect gift now see there oh and i i don't know about you but i like to think okay well so he's not talking about the not good gifts. <laughs> right? And we do this little calvinistic thing in our minds, where we're like, He's very sovereign and he, he really only gives us good things, and because He's a good and loving and generous God, and so really what He's talking about are the things I like. Okay? But again, is, is the person who's born uh, with mental deficiencies, a, a person who's born um, you know, on the spectrum, who, who doesn't have any social graces of any kind, but man, they're smart right? And Google pays them a great deal of money to figure out a bunch of stuff none of us could ever do. Is that, is that person, was that person in somehow deprived? Was that person given something, right? Somebody who's born who cannot walk, somebody who's going through life and their spouse dies, somebody who's going through life and they have a miscarriage? Th- those other things that happen to us that we do not consider gifts, I think, fall into this category of every good and perfect gift comes down from heaven. Why? Because no gift is an accident. And there are things that, that God calls gifts that we do not. And what we need to learn how to do is, is learn to use the language of the Bible. Every good and perfect gift comes down from heaven from the hand of our Father. And, and if you want to know something about this, go and read the book of Job. Because what, what, what does he say? He says, hey, listen, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And and we in but our modern theology is the Lord giveth bless him and the Lord taketh away man he sucks. <laughs> but the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. The the Lord blesses and sometimes that blessing is not what we would call blessing. But if you've been around for any amount of time, you quickly figure out that those things that you thought were the worst are oftentimes later on the best. And we're constantly surprised by this, aren't we? We think, this, couldn't, this is the worst thing that ever happened to me. And 10 years later, you're like, if that hadn't happened to me, my life would be meaningless. Without that, I, I wouldn't know, right? Think of all the things you learn, think of all the things that you become because of the trials and tribulations. Everything that you receive is a gift. And all of it is good. Because the God who gave it to you is good because the God who gave it to you sees further down the road than you can see, knows more than you know, understands you better than you understand yourself. Not all of Christ's servants are given the same quantity of grace since each has different capabilities. That is why Jesus says to each according to his ability. The swag is distributed, not according to what is deserved, but according to what the disciples can handle as individuals made in the image of God. Now, I don't know, this is, we, we, we get into some trouble here with the, the equality versus equity argument here. So if one guy receives a great deal more grace, as I see it, than I do, does that mean that, God, that, that Daddy God loves him more than he loves me? Is that what we're talking about? Could, we, could all of us have equal standing before the face of God, before his very face, could we all have equal standing and yet not be given the same amount of grace? Yes, yes. Because you are not me, and I am not you. right? And, and I'll be honest, I, I meet couples, and I'm like, I don't know how in the world that guy's married to that woman. Have you ever met people like this? And you're like, I don't know how he does that. I couldn't handle that. And, 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 and I think, yeah, you know what? I'm just not man enough. right? That guy's twice the man I am because look at the wife he's got. And I'm sure that some of you have met me and my wife, and you think, oh, sweet Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) And and when you start to look at one another's lives, right? I I mean, seriously, this is what I was talking about last week. For all the conservatives who want more freedom, you couldn't handle it, right? If we reverted back to the freedom in this country of 1840, it would be absolute chaos in this country. There are things that we just cannot handle. God knows who we are and what we can endure. He knows the level of sin that we can endure. He knows the level of pain that we can endure. He knows the level of frustrating spouse that we can endure. He knows how many kids that we can endure. He knows. And so we so often look at our lives and think, oh, if I had more kids, if I had less kids, if my husband had more hair, if he had less hair, usually in this area. Right? If I had more money, if I had a bigger car, if we actually owned a house. Yada yada yada. We look around and we see what other people are given and we think we could handle it. We think we deserve it. We think somehow that we were slighted because we weren't given it. But it's each of us, according to what God knows that we can handle, that right? Those that's how He distributes the graces. He sees the difference in us, and we live in a culture that doesn't want any difference. We want equal grace. Equal pay, right? Everybody play, everyone can play sports together. There's no difference. Everybody can join the military together, and we will just lower the standard until everyone can hop over that thing, right? We live in an age where there's no difference. How dare you su- suggest such a thing? And, and what we read in the story is like, he, and he doesn't explain. He gives this guy five, this guy two, and this guy one, and he doesn't explain at all. And, and what, we, what we see is that that... The amount given does not determine the faithfulness of the one who receives it. The guy with two doesn't say, what the hell, man, and then, and then get all sulky and not, no. The guy with five goes right to work. The guy with two goes right to work. And he, he doesn't see the difference in the quantity received as in any way diminishing the amount of responsibility he has with the, the swag that his Lord has given him. Now let's go back to Romans Romans. We're going to go to Romans 12. Romans 12. We're going to look at verses 6 through 8. Oh, sweet. This is one of those spots where I wrote so much over the top of it, I can barely read it. <laughs> Romans 12, 12, verse 6 through 8. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith if service in our serving, and the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And so what what he's talking about here, right, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Paul assumes the world that God made. He says, yeah, not everyone is given the same amount of grace. (laughs) This is is what I love. I love... um, because I, I know people like this who are, whose ability to understand the scriptures is not that great, uh, not nearly as great as their ability to make money. Right? And, and, and so you take the guy who makes a lot of money, who loves the Lord Jesus, and the guy with no money who understands the word of the Lord, and you put them together in a church and bada bing, bada boom, what do you have? You got a good thing going, Right? You you have the guy who who is organized and the guy who and, and the lady who understands like okay if we're gonna have a party this and they think very logically they think through things they have this gift and you put that person right uh, with the guy who gets up and makes a lot of jokes and makes everyone feel welcome and he's always the MC but you never want to put that guy who's the great MC in charge of actually planning the thing because the party wouldn't actually happen right and 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 you put. I've seen it so many times. You put these two people together, and man, it's a good time. It's like a Christmas party here at Redeemer. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. We are all of us given different gifts. This, this is how it works in your own household. You and your wife are not good at the same things. Thank God, right? Because then why would you need one another? There would be no dependency on one another if you were, if you were just independent little islands who could function all by yourselves with no help from anyone else. We are, all of us, given different graces, and, and the, the, the idea is to recognize this. The idea is to give thanks for this and, and, and to not get envious and to get cutthroat about it, but to rejoice in the differences and harness the various graces so that we could be functioning together as a community the way that we ought to. You have things, I do not. I have things, you do not. Put us together, and I think it's a pretty good thing. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Go back to First Corinthians chapter twelve verse four through eleven. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, Now, who gave you that grace? Who gave you that ability? Who gave you that fruit of the Spirit? You didn't get it all by yourself. You didn't earn it. It was a gift. And, and as I've already said, and I will reiterate now, the varying gifts are, are for what? The common good. The common good. And, and what do we do to the common good when we jealously look at other people's gifts, other people's earnings, other people's uh, talents, and, and we think, you know, why not me? Why not me? Why him? Why her? Right? Why, why, did, why did she get that beauty? Why did he get that strength? What about me? Well, I don't know. What about you? What are you bringing to the table? Let's stop talking about all those other people, and let's talk about you. What are you bringing to the table? And this is something that, that levels up a church, when, when, when we get beyond just gathering here on Sunday mornings, when we actually start thinking about the things that God has given us that we're good at, the things that he's given us that are a burden to us, the things that are, he, he's given to us for the common good, and we start thinking about ourselves this way and, and uh, each other as a puzzle that fits together, that's when the church goes beyond simply a group that worships together. Right? And haven't we, over the years, demonstrated a desire to do this? Because I'm not telling you guys something you don't already know. I'm reminding you of something that you, you have gloriously been rejoicing in for many years. And, and we, what we need is more of it. What I'm here to t- today to do is remind you that what you've been given, there will be an accounting for at the end. And, and are we using everything, right? Are we using the whole buffalo, right, as the natives so so gloriously did right they used all of it why because there's none of it there, there's a purpose for all of it and are we the kind of people where there are graces and gifts that are being neglected people being neglected people who don't have a place the first principle we learn in this text is that everything we have is a gift of grace and must be used for the glory and good of Christ's kingdom second we learn that not everyone receives the same quantity whether it's illumination, financial blessing, intelligence, strength, station, calling, vocation. This is why gratitude and joy and contentment are so crucial to the Christian life. But notice next this. Though the faithful servants are given different amounts of talents, they both double what they are given. Their level of faithfulness to their Lord is not based on how much is received. Receiving talents from their master obligates them to invest those talents and produce more. The task believers are to occupy themselves with until Jesus comes back is good stewardship of all that he has loaned us. There will be an accounting, and our God is effectual and expects that what has been given to us will multiply. We can multiply what Christ has entrusted to us. In fact, it is is his expectation of us. He promises eternal reward to those who prove worthy of his trust. Right? Right? And, and we have truncated the gospel, we have narrowed the gospel, we've diminished the gospel to this just personal relationship and where everything is okay. He's there, I'm here, we're, we're in relationship now, and, and we're good. So now I'm going to go about my life doing those things that I think are wise, true, good, and beautiful, using my sanctified wisdom. And, and what, what we haven't thought about is, is, is investing. Because there's a huge difference between the two, isn't there? Now, if I gave you $50,000, you could use that $50,000 to do a lot of good and have a good time. Okay, if I was like, hey, guys, here's 50 grand, <laughs> and I want you guys to plan a weekend where we have some fun. Now, that's one way to spend money, isn't it? Or, right, or, or okay, no, I'm gonna ha- you gave me $50,000, I'm going to be very responsible with it, I'm going to spend it very carefully, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on Dave Ramsey's uh, website, and I'm going to get the envelopes, I'm going to be very careful with everything that I'm given. But that's also not what the story is about. Because what they do is they take what's given to them and they risk it. Because the two faithful servants actually double what's given to them. But they had the possibility of not doubling what was given to them and, in fact, losing what was given to them. And I think that, is an, that element of this story is the one that eludes us. Because we play it safe. We play it safe right? We, we under, well, we're good Christian people. We understand Proverbs. We understand cause and effect. I mean, Dave Ramsey is popular amongst Christians for a reason. We should all be very careful. We should all be very wise. We should take counsel. But at what point did we stop taking risks? At what point did you stop taking risks with your spouse? Now, because I, I remember. I remember seeing my wife the first time, and I can explain the risk walking up to her the first time. I'd never met her before, and I say, where am I taking you for a drink?" Man, that's a good line. <laughs> now, was I risking something of that? Right, and I, and I could go on. There was a great deal more risk after that. But having been married 17 years, the question I have to ask myself is, I'm still, am I still taking a risk on her? Am I still risking, right? When, here, here we are sitting around the breakfast table, and everybody's happy, and everything's kosher, and I know that there's something I have to bring up, but it's going to make us unhappy <laughs> because we have to deal with it. Now, am I gonna take the risk? And am I going to address, or am I going to just punt? Now, I can say the same thing with your kids. Are, are, are you risking anything when it comes to raising them? Because you know if you tell them no, they're going to scream. And we have all seen it, and nobody wants that. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to check down. I'm, I'm just going to forget about it. I'm just going to take the easy way. We're going to not stir anything up. I'm not going to take a risk hospitality, that, that glorious I don't know whack-a-mole that, that we love so much around here when is the last time you took a risk and had people over Right? You, you know when I go in your bathroom I'm going to judge you how clean it is, some of you with the bars of soap I don't understand I don't know how many homes I come out of the bathroom, I go to the kitchen I wash my hands there I won't name names but I, I stand in judgment of you now, and, 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 and what is my judgment? Man, these people were busy and didn't have a lot of time, and I'm so glad they invited me over. Because you're taking a risk, right? <laughs> if you come over to my house, what am I risking? I'm risking you looking around thinking, like, do these people own a vacuum, or should we get them one for Christmas? <laughs> right? If my pastor gift this year is a vacuum cleaner, I'm going to know why. <laughs> I'm going to know whose idea it was. It's risky having people into your life, okay? (laughs) If you called up an older person, and you're like, listen, I really need some advice, and you don't know how that person's gonna respond, you don't know if they're gonna have any advice to give you, you don't know if they're gonna have time, you don't know, right? And you don't know what they have going on in in their life, and you wanna be very respectful of that, and so you don't take the risk, and you don't get the advice, and you do the thing that causes you years of grief that you could've avoided if you would've gotten some wise counsel. I remember risking a great deal by asking advice and the the advice saved my marriage at a time when I really needed it. And if I hadn't, what would have happened? And it was risky because actually that person for good reason didn't, that person was in a position of authority who who then knew what was going on and, and it cost me something but I was, I was willing to risk my standing in order to fix what needed fixing. Now, when is the last time you risked your standing in order to do the right thing? When is the last time you risked a relationship in order to say what needed to be said? When is the last time that you risked your, your, right, your own comfort in order to comfort others? Because was that house given to you for your own use? Is that money given to you for your own use? Is your Saturday afternoon given to you for your own use? Now, we come to the judgment. The faithful servants are declared to be faithful by their master. He comes to them and he says, yes, what have you been up to? Oh my gosh, you doubled what I gave you. You are a faithful servant. Enter now into my joy. And that, that word, actually, um, it's likely that Jesus, who was speaking in Aramaic, actually not Greek, used the word for joy that means feast or festival. And, and the Greek word that they use here in the Old Testament, the Greek Old Testament, is used not just for joy and happiness and, and, and warm, fuzzy feelings, but it is a word in the old, uh, Greek Old Testament that's used for a festival and a feast. It says, okay, you enter my joy. Now, this is consistent with other parts of Scripture, where what, what is going to happen after Jesus comes back and has an accounting with all of us? Well, we're, we're going to go to the supper feast of the Lamb. Right? Now, now were these people, it, it, are these people going to the supper feast of the Lamb because they were faithful with the talents? Because this is where people have a difficult time with these stories. They are not going there because they were faithful with the talents. Okay? what God was doing in their life produced the fruit of eternal life. They were, they were given something from the Lord. They knew that it was a gift, and they knew what they were supposed to do with it. And what they did with it comes out of the fact that they were given it. And the, and, and, and the, end, result, the, the end result of their lives right, was one long story in the same direction. Because right, when he gives them the talents, he already knows who and what they are. He knows what they're going to do. So was it a risk for the Lord to give it to them? Now, you juxtapose all of this with the unfaithful servant who's full of nothing but stupid excuses, and what, what is said of him is that he's cast into the outer darkness. And, and he's cast in the outer darkness, and what is that? Well, that's a metaphor for hell. He's thrown in hell, right? He's resurrected to eternal life because everyone will be resurrected to eternal life, and that is why those in hell are undying, because they will be suffering there in hell, unable to be killed. And he will, and this servant who is like, oh, yes, Lord, you're back. I'm so glad. Let me talk to you. I know, who, I know what kind of God you are. You're the God who reaps where he doesn't even sow. You're the God who produces fruit where you didn't even try. And yet he's thrown in the outer darkness. Now, now did he lose his salvation? And I know these are deep waters, everybody, but it's important. I, I, if, you say, if you go with stories like this and you don't cover everything, it's very dangerous for people. Did he have salvation and lose it? No, he demonstrated that the thing that he, get, he, was, he received, he didn't understand what it was. He didn't understand what it was for. And, and he actually was extremely illogical. And sin makes us illogical. Because even the Lord who's talking to him says, Well, hey, I mean, the money would have been just as safe in a bank. Now, I don't know about you, but if I buried something in my backyard, it would be pretty safe. Right? Especially with all the guns I own. But it would be equally safe, you know, at Bank of America. Especially now with the, uh, the federal government who promises that if it gets stolen, they'll pay me back anyway. And, and, and this is how illogical this man is. The, the money could have been just as safe in a, in a, in a box, in a lockbox at the bank, and I would have at least gotten interest. You're just acting like a total moron. And that's what sinners do. Because sin is illogical. And so this guy from the very get-go, this unfaithful servant, just has no idea what's going on. He doesn't understand why he's given this. He doesn't understand what it's for. He doesn't understand what to do with it. And so he's just like, well, I guess I'll just pitch it in the backyard here. And when the guy comes back, I'll just give it back to him, and hopefully, hopefully he, won't, he won't hurt me. But then the very thing he feared, right, the wrath, is what he received. Because he never saw a gracious, a gracious kind hand in this master. All he saw was what, you, what is to be feared. Now, we all know it's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of a living God. We all know that, but that's not how we operate. I I hope not. If that's how you operate, please come see Joel, Jared, or I after service. But if you're functioning because you're like, you know, God is a big, nasty man in the sky who will crush me, and, and, and I am afraid of him. And so what I'm going to do is love my wife as Christ loved the church. I am afraid of him, so I'm going to tithe. I'm afraid of him, so I'm going to go to church, and I'm going to hide there amongst the people of God, and if I'm hiding amongst his people, maybe he won't notice me. Because this is what the fig leaf Christianity is always about. And, and, and the fear that he has is why he's doing what he's doing. Now, I don't, I don't disagree that we should fear him, but that's not why we do what we do. Right? We do what we do in the name of Jesus Christ because of the grace and the goodness and the generosity that he shows us. He gives us something. We say, oh, you are good, and so I will do good with this. He, we don't receive it and say, oh my gosh, you're, you're terrifying, and so I, I'm just going to try to do something with this. And those are two very different ways of operating. And if you're operating out of fear, it is a, it, it, it is a sign that things are off kilter, that there is a gospel problem in your heart and in your understanding. And if you feel yourself operating out of fear in your home as a Christian, please do not remain silent, but come and see us, because we need to fix that. Now, one of the last things that we learn is the untrustworthiness uh, of the one... Well, hold on, I'm sorry. We also learn that one untrustworthy in what he is his own, I'm sorry, will not be trustworthy in what concerns others, okay? So one who has given this thing, and he's very negligent with what the Lord gives him, and and so he doesn't receive any more. The two people, the two faithful servants who receive from the Lord and and, uh, and are um, returned back to the Lord what he has given them plus extra, the the Lord says, okay, now I'm going to give you more. So those who are faithful in little are given more. Right? And if you, if you ever had this, I don't know, I, I remember my, I mean, my, my current job is still like this. The more faithful I am with what responsibility I'm given, next thing I know, somebody wants me to take on more responsibility. And I think, you know, I should stop this. And maybe I'll be irresponsible and this whole train will just end. <laughs> right? But have you ever done a good job at work? And you think, man, this is, I am so glad this is behind me. And then your boss is like, okay, you did really well. And now I'm going to give you an even harder task. And, and, and that's what we're talking about here. And this is another reason people are afraid and don't want to risk anything. Because you're like, well, if, I, if I'm too responsible, they might put me in charge of something. Um, and <laughs> like this, is, this was a fear I had all, all last year. Poor little Lewis, he, he goes, he's in this trail life program. And the last thing I want anyone to do is to put me in charge of it. I don't want any responsibility for this thing. I just want to take my kid there. And, and, so, and to a certain extent, I thought, maybe I'm be being a megalomaniac here, right? But I've been, in, I've been in, in, in volunteer ministry long enough to know how this works. Okay, so I go all year just avoiding any, everyone, not being my, I think most of you would have been surprised to see me at these events because I just stand in the corner quietly not talking to anyone because I'm terrified they're going to put me in charge of something. And then at the end of the year we go on this camping trip and, I, and everybody was like, who is this vivacious man that is now in our presence? And then they want to meet with me now next week to put me in charge of it next year. And I was like, see? I'm glad I waited to the end to be my normal self, because I do not have time for that. And, and, I, and, and what I now doing this sermon, I'm thinking, you know, I was just living in fear of taking on more responsibility. Would it have killed me? I was there anyway, right? I was already at the meetings, and instead of reading um, novels in the corner, I could have actually been helping people. And I think a lot of us operate this way all the time right? Yeah, especially at church. Well, if they put me in charge of something at church and I do a good job, you know they're going to want me to do it, do it again next year. And yes, <laughs> that is actually true. If you do too good a job at the barbecue, we will start putting you in charge of barbecues. But, but this, is, uh, this is unfaithfulness. This, this is operating out of a sense of fear, because there, there is one way that this works, and that is those who, who are faithful with little are given more, and there's no way to avoid this unless you're just unfaithful. And so stop operating out of a sense of fear. There, there are things that the Lord wants you to grow up and do, right? There's young men here who, who he wants to raise up and become deacons and elders. There are men here who are learning what they're learning because one day God is going to put you in a position where you start your own business. There are people here who are going to, right, when, when everyone sees how wonderful your family is, they're going to come to you and they're going to want you to counsel them and how to raise a family, There's no way of avoiding this. There's only embracing it, right? Because if we don't embrace it in fear, we are not being faithful servants. And I think this is one of the biggest areas in which we sin in this regard. We are afraid of having more. Yeah, I mean, Eastern Europe was moderately revealing because there were several times where I was like, do you people have any idea how much responsibility I have at home? I I don't want to have anything to do with this meeting. Go over there and have this meeting where I, I don't have to hear it. So they go over there and they start having a meeting and eventually you know what happens? <laughs> well, here's what I think uh, we ought to do. And then bada bing, bada boom, I'm in charge of something. And, and I keep thinking, I don't know about you, but I keep thinking there's no way I could possibly do more now. I, I'm, I'm like at my limit. And then I look back on the last year and I'm like, man, I'm, already <laughs> I'm doing more. <laughs> right? And we have this, this thing now, we talk about the fast no and the slow yes. And some of you, I think, need to learn this principle. Say no quickly. Say yes slowly. Okay? And I know you know who you are. I know who you are. Some of you guys are avoiding the real work of the kingdom because you're afraid that you're going to be put in, in charge of something. And that's no way to live because you're just taking the talent and burying it in the backyard. Okay? Some of us need to learn the fast no and the slow yes. Some of us need to learn, to learn the fast yes and the slow no. And, and it just goes back to all of our collective gifts in the common good. What are we here for? What is the purpose? What has God given us all of these things for? Now, here in the application part, I, you know this. it is just remarkable to me, the difference. There are Christians in this world who are given a half a talent compared to what we are given, and, and they, they have <laughs> turned it into 500-fold And and there are are things that I I learned when I I go over there that that, that is what led me to this. Because we don't know how good we have it. I mean, I was telling the story of a woman in our church who grinds her own weed, right, to make her own flour. And and there were people there who just literally could not believe that this even – how is this even legal, first off? Our government would shut this down like fastened Jiminy Cricket. First off, where do you even buy that much – like, how, how does this even work? And so we had this whole talk, discussion about this. And they were like, man, does everyone in your church do it? And I was like, well, no. Uh, and, and then this was the question, why? I was like, well, I mean, I don't, I, I don't have that kind of time. Ta- I just go down and buy some oral wheat. Yeah, but there's poison in the oral wheat bread. I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> I, I, here's another one. Because I'm always telling everybody to date your spouse. I'm constantly telling everybody that. And, and here, there was a guy who goes out once a year f- with his wife on their anniversary, and for reasons that I can hardly explain to you, you know the, the restaurant they saved up to go to? Pizza Hut. Pizza Hut. Because first off, the restaurants over there that are American are completely different. In fact, McDonald's is beautiful. If, if you can ever go to a McDonald's in Slovakia, do it. Because, and just sit there and enjoy it. Like, I didn't want to leave. The place was so nice, the air conditioning was perfect. It looks like a real restaurant and everyone gets very excited about cafes, as if it's like some sort of like new rare place. And, and, and they love these restaurants, and so Pizza Hut over there is not the same as Pizza Hut over here, but this was their aspiration, was to go to Pizza Hut on a date by themselves. And I was like, <laughs> it's like I drop more money on my wife on a date in, in a month than it sounds like you spend on food in half a year. And, and we, we have all this opportunity here to do things together, to, to invest in our marriages. And, and, like, the money is flowing, the opportunities are ripe, there's tons of babysitters. And why is it that most of us can't get it done? Right? This whole idea, like, of, of nutrition and the fact that most of us could afford to, to live a more nutritional life, right, have more nutrition, better nutrition, food is medicine, after all, and, and we don't do it. Why? why? Why are we not investing in it? Here's another one. And I won't go on and on with these, but here's one. Christian education, it's another one. They, they can't believe that we can literally just stop going to schools. Because if you stop going to school, put your kids in school in Ukraine, the police will come to your house. Right, and I know that we run, there's all kinds of risks about Christian education here, but nobody has ever come to my house and asked why my kids are home in the middle of the day. You just say homeschooling, and everyone's like, oh, okay, cool, homeschooling, cool, even here in this state. And, and over there, there's no option. It's state schools are nothing. And, and, and again, we have these freedoms. We have these gifts. And, and are we using them? Right? I, I'm not just talking about how, the fact that you, you guys, right, one, one of you, one family in this church, if you do the Dave Ramsey program, has burned money in an envelope, which is more money than these families live on in an entire year. Because in Ukraine, you know, all you need to live on comfortably is $800 U.S. Dollars a month. Could you... Now... Think how far that would go here, right? And they still only buy um, meat three times a year. And and so you get into these situations where it's very easy to be like, well, thank God you didn't make me Ukrainian, right? We, We could be those people. We could get on our knees and be like, thank God I didn't grow up under communism, real communism in the 80s and 90s in Poland. Thank God that you didn't make me like that man. And, and I think for a lot of Americans, this is the way we think about it. We see how other people live, and, and our response is to just thank God for not making us like that poor bastard. Thank you for making me an, an American. Right? And then we come here, and, we, and we're told that we should be ashamed of our privilege. Now, you have privilege, and you ought not to be ashamed of it. You ought to be using it. You ought to be, right? you ought to be taking those talents, and you ought to be investing them and risking them and, and building the kingdom of God with them. That is what you're called to do. You're not called to judge others. You're not called to wish that you had something you didn't. You, you are given more than you know, and, and the responsibility that you have to the Lord God is to invest it in his kingdom. Not yours, his. Now turn with me to Luke chapter 2. And I'm just going to read this story. I'm going I'm to go through a few stories in the Bible to illustrate what I am talking about. Luke chapter 2 verses 36 to 38. 36 to 38. Now, and Jesus' father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also. And so the thoughts from many hearts, I'm sorry, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Now, how many of you would ever look at someone's widowhood and be like, what a gift, what a gift? This woman received widowhood after only having been married to her husband for seven years and then spent the rest of the time until she was in her mid-80s up at the temple and to the point where she is called a prophetess, for goodness sakes. She took all that time she, she never turned away from the Lord. She never blamed him for it. She she it was a gift that was given to her that she used to do what? To praise the Lord, to serve his kingdom. And she is there when baby when, when in, like little eight year old Jesus is running around the temple complex. Now, do you think that she ever thought, you know, I'm going to do this because my reward is going to be seeing the Messiah? She had no idea when he was coming. But she knew her responsibility was to go up and to seek the living God on behalf of her nation. And that's how she spent her widowhood. That's how she spent the talents that were given to her. Now turn with me now to Luke chapter 7. This will be the last one, because we are running out of time. Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. Now after Jesus had finished all his sayings and the hearing of the people... He entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him the elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and turning to the crowd that followed him, he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found that the servant was well. Now, let's, let's think about this for a moment. This is a centurion. He's a Roman. And he has all this power and all this authority over the neighborhood. And is he using it to extract money for himself? Is he using his position like other very common Romans who are abusing the people and stealing and putting taxes on them and rough handling them and just dominating over everyone? Or is he risking his standing amongst his own people by devoting himself to some nobody God in, in a backwater of the Roman Empire? Now, isn't he risking something? Now, he builds a synagogue he can't even go in. He cares about the kingdom of heaven. He, he builds a church that he himself can't even use. Because why? Because there ought to be houses of the Lord where people worship the living God. Okay, so now he's acquired all of this good standing amongst these people. And they come on his behalf, and what do they say of him? He is worthy for you to do this. It's practically saying you owe him to, to help the servant. And, and, and he's sending these people on whose behalf? His own? No, he, he, he's, a, he's risked everything amongst his own people to have this glorious standing amongst these people who are not his people. And he's risking that for what purpose? Himself? And so you have Anna the prophetess, you have the centurion, you have two people who knew exactly what the the pearl of great price was given to them for. It was not about them, it was about the kingdom of the Lord God and for the common good. And they risked a lot, right? They risked a great deal. To do what? To serve themselves or to serve others. There are gifts lying around your life that you don't even know are gifts. Do you know how I know it's true? Because it's true of me. And, and, and this is how, like, I don't know how stressed out I am at home until I, until I go somewhere else. I don't know how much I have until I go and I see how, how little others have. Right? There, there, are, there has got to be something where, where we shake our tree just a little bit. We, we have a slightly different way of looking at life where we see things differently. And that's what I want you guys to do. There are talents lying around your house that you have not invested in the kingdom of the Lord. There are talents in your house you don't even know are talents that were given to you. And and you have forgotten the fact that one day, the Lord Jesus is going to show up and he say, What did you do? What did you do with those talents I gave you? And and how many of us now, if he showed up, he would mention some gift and be like, I don't even know what you're talking about. I didn't even know that was a thing. What did you want me to do with it? You are spiritually overfed and underworked. This is like my motto now for modern Christians, right? We, we, we have Bibles. We got podcasts. We got books. We got Canon Plus apps. It's only, what, like hundred dollars a year? And we just like consume, consume, consume. And what's the output? We are spiritually overfed and underworked. We are people with talents lying around. We didn't even bury them in the backyard. They're just lying around. And we need to actually look at our lives differently and see what it is that the Lord God has given us and think, what are we doing with it? Because you, there's a great deal that you could be risking that you're not risking, but the reward is what? Right? The end result of the risk is what? Honoring and glorifying the living God. You are a blessed people. I've seen how you guys, when you guys are aware of something being a blessing, when you're aware of it being a talent, when you're aware of it being a gift, when you're aware of it being a grace, I've seen what you guys do with it. And and what I want you, I'm not here to admonish you in in the way that you think. You know exactly what to do with what He has given you. What I'm here to tell you is that you have been given more than you realize. And all I want you to do is go home and start looking around at the talents and see which ones are lying around and invest them and risk them the way that the Lord God wants you to. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Father, we thank you so much for this day. Lord, we thank you for the great, the pearl of great price, Lord, the gospel of the... Lord Jesus Christ, I, pr- I thank you for opening our hearts and minds to the good news of Jesus. I thank you, Lord, for the many graces and gifts that you have bestowed upon us. I thank you for the faithfulness that the people in this church have shown all of the years that I have been here. And I pray, God, that you would show us, give us eyes to see that we are given more than we even realize. And that we would risk it, Lord, for your glory. In whose name we pray, and amen. amen.